morning, everybody. I'm, past, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at FCC. Mike introduced he and Elizabeth. Also want to mention that uh, Jerry was up here. Jerry is our campus pastor here at Collingswood. Uh, he's the one that read the scripture. He's also the one that spoke at our Good Friday service a couple of nights ago. And Ben was up here uh, as well. Ben is our pastor of care for FCC. I want to take a few minutes this morning to just focus our thoughts on one single verse that talks about some of the incredible ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus on this resurrection day. Uh, I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the greatest passage in the Bible. The whole passage is all about 58 verses on the resurrection of Jesus. And verse 58 is the final statement, and here's what it says. Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The therefore that he starts this verse with is looking back to the 57 verses all about the resurrection of Jesus. I'd like to pray as we look at our, our study together. Lord, we thank you for the therefores. We thank you for the stunning transformation and influence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has in our lives these 2,000 years later. Lord, instruct us today, even as we continue this, this beautiful service of just rejoicing in the risen Christ, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you have read the books or seen the series, The Lord of the Rings, and you know those little characters called hobbits were the stars in a lot of ways. And in that particular series, in the last book, which is the time where Sam Gamgee is traveling with Frodo, his compatriot, also uh, he's a servant uh, in the employ of, of Frodo. But they have come into Mordor, which is the place of darkness, and they're on this giant quest to get rid of the ring of power and throw it into Mount Doom's fire. But they've just had it. They're exhausted. They're, they're totally uh, emotionally, mentally drained, physically drained. And Frodo can't even keep his eyes open. They're in the rocky cliffs of Mordor, which is a dark uh, place. Nothing grows there. And they've hidden themselves in a cleft in the rock. Uh, they've still got miles to go on their journey to get to Mount Doom. And it's nighttime, and Frodo's fallen asleep, and Sam Gamgee is there, and uh, he sort of crawled out to just sort of look over the darkness of the area around him. He, he's too worked up, and he's also fearful to sleep because he's afraid of dangers that might come. And as he's there, this is what happens as he looks out over the land of Mordor. The land seemed, the land seemed full of creaking and cracking and sly noises, but there was no sound of voice or foot. The night sky was still dim and pale. There, peeping among the clouds, above a dark tower high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up at the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, 
The shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Now for a moment, his own fate and even his master's ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side and putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep and untroubled sleep. Like a shaft, clear and cold, it says, the thought pierced him that in the end the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. The resurrection of Jesus is for the Christian that shaft that dispels the shadows of darkness. It is the thing that gives us hope. It is why Paul says to us at the end of this discussion on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And we might ask the questions as we launch into a few thoughts this morning. Stand firm. Where? Let nothing move us from what? And we find that there is only one other passage in the Bible that takes this expression, let nothing move you. And it was also written by Paul. And it's found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, where he says this, let nothing move you from the hope of the Gospel. The Gospel. That which Paul, in verses 3 and 4 of this same chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, will say, I delivered to you this Gospel, which is, and he describes it, that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. This which He says to put our hope in is the Gospel, the good news of Jesus. That Jesus Christ not only died, but that He was raised the third day. And He says, let nothing move you. Put your hope in this reality that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Let nothing move you from your hope. Today we are facing a day, as all days really, but certainly uniquely now, in which there are many shadows trying to move us from hope. Life seems out of control for many. Some of you are separated right now from loved ones who are in the hospital, or a rehab, or a nursing home. Some of you are in the shadows of relationships that have manifested conflict and pain. Shadows result from troubles, losses, disappointments, worrisome forecasts, and question-filled futures. And Paul says, let nothing move you from your hope. And he gives five reasons in this chapter, and I'd like to highlight them, why the resurrection of Jesus is a hope that he says we can hold on to and stand firm in light of, not be moved in the midst of the shadows and fearful moments of life. I'd like to share those quickly with you this morning. We can let nothing move us from our hope because the resurrection of Jesus is real. In verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, but Christ has indeed truly been raised from the dead. Many people like the idea of res the resurrection, of course. It's a, it's a wonderful moral story. 
It's a symbol of a fresh start, of new beginnings. It's a picture of a man standing against tyranny. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's good triumphing over evil. But of course, many good fiction stories do that for us. And the picture that is being presented here is a reminder that this truth is given for a reason. Good fiction is not enough to see you through trouble. Good fiction is not something that you don't want to be moved from. There's truth that he is arguing for. And yet lots of people look at the resurrection with skepticism. They would look back and say, well, that was a different day. That's when people you know, didn't do scientific. They didn't look for uh, empirical data. You know, it, was, it was a different time. But I'd suggest to you that even in Jesus' day and Paul's day, there was great cynicism about the resurrection. These were not gullible people. Yet millions of them throughout the, the Roman Empire not only found there was validity to these, the resurrection of Jesus, but also they found that it changed their lives. Christ is risen Indeed, he says. And Paul is saying to us, if you're facing real trouble, real death, real calamity, real darkness, then you need to embrace what I'm saying to you about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ really, truly was risen from the dead. The first reality that we are presented with here as we look back at what Paul is saying, let nothing move you, let nothing move you, first of all, because the resur resurrection is real. He really is alive. Secondly, let nothing move you because the resurrection means you can be free of your sins. Verse 17 of, of 1 Corinthians 15 says, And if Christ has been raised, your, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The opposite of that, of course, the flip side is that if you are if Christ has been raised, you are not still in your sins. This means you are not, you have been freed from the penalty of sin. This is what we talked about last Sunday when we talked about what Jesus said that it is finished, that, that the debt is paid, that when Jesus came back to life, he is declaring that the debt that has been paid has been accepted. That there is a, a, the resurrection is the, the proclamation that it took, that it worked. I often shop at, at Costco and I have a regular habit. I've done it at least half a dozen times. You go through the lines and then you've got a long walk to the exit with your cart and, uh, then you, and there's a checker there and they give you the receipt and all they want you to do is to show them the receipt. I'm one of those manic people that I hate having papers in my pocket. So regularly, at least half a dozen times, on my way between the, the, the line and the door, there are trash cans, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw my receipt. I've done, I've done it often. And I get to the door, and ah, I can't get out. I don't have my receipt. So I, I actually, I, a couple of times I've tried to go back and find it in the trash, but... Typically, I've had to go back, and I say, you know, I, here, I'm back. 
and uh, they look and they, they, they quickly, they're great about it, they do it real efficiently. There are a lot of me's out there, they're probably you are one of those. And they give me another receipt that just says, I, I, you know, I paid for my groceries and here it is, and I bring the receipt to the door. But that receipt is the proclamation that I have paid in full for all this stuff that I'm trying to take to my car. The resurrection declares as a receipt the proof that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was He paid in full for our sins as we talked about last time. That He lived the life that we should have lived. That He died the death that we should have died. And the resurrection is that the payment of all of that has been received in full. He has risen victorious over that penalty. Let nothing move you because the resurrection says you are free of your sins. Not only from the penalty of sin, but ultimately in the future will be free from the very presence of sin. The third thing, because the resurrection means a new era has begun. Let nothing move you, Paul says, because a new era has begun. He says it this way in verse 20 to 23 in 1 Corinthians 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all have been made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when He comes, those who belong to Him. Jesus is the firstfruits of the resurrection. There is a world coming that He is the firstfruits of. The first fruit is the first thing out of the garden. It's the picture of all the rest that is coming. It is the picture of the fact that the future of God has landed. That, that it's begun that it is a picture and a portrayal of what is coming. It's what's coming out of the garden as a result of the first fruits that have been provided. We are living in a world that is not as it is designed to be. It is a world that is designed to be a place of unselfishness, kindness, justice, goodness. We are designed humanly to serve others and to serve God. But it is not how we live. We live to serve ourselves typically. It's our default mode. We use other people. We use God to serve our interests and desires. And as a result, the world does not work as it's designed to function. Our lives don't work as they're designed to function. In the resurrection, a hole was punched in the, in the walls of this world. A shaft of light is shining in. Light is piercing darkness. Hope is re replacing despair. Christ says, believe in Me, and the resurrection will come into your life. It will enable you to live, to, to give up your small vision for life, and to see life with a big vision. Because you are challenged to see that the future reality has already begun. That the new era has already dawned. That the future of God has landed. 
And Christians in the power of Christ are just God's beachhead. God is bringing in the reality of the future into the present. He does it every time when He enables you to forgive someone. He does it when you love with Jesus' love. When you trust God in the shadows. It is all parts of of this new era that is dawning in the power of the risen Christ. You are part of something momentous then. Something eternal. And the beachhead of God is expanding in our generation. Of course, it's easy to lose sight of that when money is short and energy is depleted and relationships are tense. But Paul says, don't let anything move you from the hope. Because the resurrection guarantees that a new era has begun. And if you name the name of Christ, if you have embraced Christ as your Savior, you're a part of that, a small part, but a part of that new era that has begun. Fourth, Let nothing move you because the resurrection shows that death is defeated. He says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 again, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us victory over death. That death is not the final part of the story. Death can be a known commodity, that it is a stepping stone to a life to come, where the era that just began as, in its embryonic state, where Christ is simply the first fruits of it in our day, will come to fruition. Aristotle called death the thing to be feared because it appears to be the end of everything. Francois Ravalias said in his equal pessimism, I'm going to the great perhaps. But death is not just the end of everything or the great perhaps. That Jesus came among us, died for us, rose from the grave, guaranteed that we can say, even in the face of potential death, we have... Nothing that needs to move us from our hope. Because the resurrection shows that death is defeated. And the last thing Paul tells us is this. Let nothing move you from hope because the resurrection shows that your labor is not in vain. Verse 458, Therefore, the basis of all this truth about the resurrection of Jesus. He says, let nothing move you. Rather, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Maybe you're at home this morning and hope is ebbing. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're feeling... My prayers are not being answered. I feel I have no influence. 
not making any difference. I'm living in obscurity. Darkness feels deep to me. Paul says here, remember your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're a part of the resurrection story. And it may be that what God is simply asking you to do now is to choose to trust. To choose to praise. To pray for others when you're feeling so bad about yourself. That each of those baby step choices that you're confronted with often hourly are a part of that which He says your labor is not in vain because there is a living Christ. We often want to look at life and evaluate what am I doing that's big and that's influential and consequential as I estimate things. And so God needs to remind us with statements like this, remember, your labor is not in vain because of you. Your labor is not in vain. Your choices are not insignificant. Your determination to trust and follow Christ and and focus on others is not in vain because of you. It's not in vain because there is a living Christ who rose from the dead and has associated you with His life. There are many shadows in our lives, many frightening, discouraging things in which the light and goodness seems to be hidden. But the resurrection gives us hope. Some of you are in the dark shadows this morning. I believe God wants to shine that shaft of light, that twinkling star in the midst of hard things and and say, don't let anything move you from hope. Because Jesus is alive. Okay, now, right in the room there, with everybody that's there, I want you all to, to, to vocally respond one more time today. He is risen. Lord, we thank You that You are risen indeed. That our lives are irrevocably, eternally changed because of that reality. And we love You for it today. In Jesus' name, Amen.